Morena, and welcome to the Dawn Chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey. This is my daily podcast that goes out with an email newsletter to paying subscribers every day. Uh, and it's all about the political economy in Aotearoa, and in particular, what's happening with housing affordability, climate change, and child poverty. Today, I wanted to have a look at the power to vote and the power to change policies. And in particular, who is exercising that power and how changes in who can vote can change that power. Yesterday, the Supreme Court ruled that the Make It 16 campaign's argument that not allowing the lowering of the voting age from 18 to 16 was in breach of the Bill of Rights, which outlaws discrimination by age, was correct. In effect, the Supreme Court said Parliament should consider reducing the voting age from 18 to 16. This came out early in the afternoon, and it came out as the Labour government's cabinet met to discuss it. I was at the press conference afterwards where Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern announced that the government would put legislation before Parliament to lower the voting age in general elections from 18 to 16 in response to this Supreme Court ruling. The law says that within five days the Attorney General has to formally notify Parliament and a select committee about one of these conflicts between the law and the Bill of Rights. Now that doesn't force Parliament to necessarily change the law. In fact, any change to the overall electoral law requires a 75% majority vote in Parliament. So Labour has yet to say what Labour's party position might be, although the Prime Minister said she supported the lowering of the age from 18 to 16, and she also would prefer that the vote was a conscience vote. That will be decided by the Speaker of the House of Parliament. However, uh, National and ACT both came out in opposition to the lowering of the voting age from 18 to 16. The Greens were in favour. So what's going on here and why should we care about the lowering of the voting age? Well, we know that currently there's already a democratic deficit in our age population structure and who votes. Currently, people who are aged from 18 to 39 vote at much lower rates than those aged over 50. And we know that people who are not landowners, i.e. not homeowners, they're renters, vote at significantly lower rates than landowners. And when you combine that, what we find is that young renters vote at significantly lower rates than older landowners. And that matters because what it does is shift the centre of political gravity towards older, property-owning landowners. And that's reflected in the sorts of policies that we've had and we're likely to have. And the best example of that is in the last four elections, we've had debates about whether or not to have a wealth tax or a capital gains tax. 2011, 2014, 2017, 
And then in 2020, although no one proposed a capital gains tax, it was clearly in the background. The key moment was Jacinda Ardern's announcement in 2019 that she would never again propose a capital gains tax in her political lifetime, which stopped Labour from effectively going ahead with a proposal for a capital gains tax. Also, when you look at the council level, that democratic deficit is even larger. And it's been detailed by the Productivity Commission in three separate reports in the last decade. Essentially, older landowners vote to stop new land being available for new homes and, and vote to stop the infrastructure required for that land to be made available for homes. And that's been a major factor, as found by Treasury, in the massive appreciation in land values over the last 20 years. We have a very inelastic housing supply, so that when house prices increase, normally there should be a response and increase in the availability of land to try to find an equilibrium closer to affordability. That hasn't happened because older voters have voted A, to keep the current tax-free status of leverage gains on residential land, and B, have voted to stop new infrastructure investment by either their councils or by the government which would open up new land supply. Uh, so this democratic deficit is caused by simply not enough voters who are renters and who are young. But when you look at the structure of the population, you find that there are plenty of people who are young. We actually have a relatively young population, and that's in part because of all the migration over the last 20 years. The trouble is those young people don't vote. Now that's improving over the last three elections that both the enrolment rates and the turnout from those who have enrolled has improved, but it's still a good 20 percentage points lower than it is for those over the age of 50. To give you an idea, if there was the same percentage of people from 18 to 39 who voted as those over 50, there would be around 260,000 extra voters in the next election. And if we saw the voting age dropped from 18 to 16, that would add another 125,000 or so potential voters to the pool. And assuming a similar voting rate to those over the age of 50, we're talking near a, a closer to half a million potential extra voters if you were both to improve the voting rate to the uh, uh, average of those who are older and you lowered the voting age. So it really matters in terms of shifting the democratic center of gravity towards young renters. Because what we've seen in the last 20 years is a massive transfer of wealth from those who are young and renting now and will in future, the kids and grandkids of tomorrow, to those people who own land now. In my view, that has increased the value of the, the household wealth for those owning land uh, has increased by about $1 trillion in the last 20 years. That's an effective transfer of wealth from future generations and for those who rent now to those who own land now. That's been one of the general concerns about democracy for asset owners is that by widening the franchise out from only men who own land, which was the case in Aotearoa, um, 
up until um, the 1920s. And of course, um, uh, widening it to include um, younger people. Remember, there was a vote in 1974 and another one in 1969, which lowered the, the voting age from first 21 to 20 in 1969, and then from 20 to 18 in 1974. So in a way, the baby boomers have had it both ways. Not only did they benefit from the lowering of the voting age in 1974 onwards to 2020 or so, but they're stopping young people from voting at greater rates now. And the disillusion is seeing many of those younger voters, even once they get to the age of 18, not bothering to start to vote or just leaving the country. To give you an idea, in the last six months or so, there's been about 50,000 people in their 20s, residents, who've left the country permanently because they don't see a future for themselves with obscenely high house prices, the most expensive rents in the world and an inability to save the deposits now required to own your own home which is necessary really to start a secure uh, family. So um, what's likely to happen here? Well um, there's likely to be a vote in Parliament, it's likely to be a conscience vote. National and ACT uh, will be able to vote enough against it to stop it from going through from a general election point of view. There is some hope though for the local election. The local electoral act does not require a 75% supermajority. So we will see in the coming few months whether or not there's a split between the general election voting age and the local election voting age. And we'll see whether or not National and ACT allows its MPs to have conscience votes and then once that happens which way each of these MPs vote. I'm Bernard Hickey, that was my dawn chorus for Tuesday November the 22nd. Kaki te anō.